0: 2 Corinthians 9, 15, where we were talking last week, and those, well, the last several weeks, in these preceding two chapters here, Paul has been talking about giving, and the Corinthians, as you remember, had been very zealous about giving to the needs of others, and it all talked about it, and their zeal had even stirred up some of the other churches in neighboring regions, but the problem is, the Corinthians hadn't followed through with it yet. And so Paul was concerned that they get this done and get ready so that when he comes, they don't have to get it all together. Uh, Paul holds up Christ as a great example of giving, right? You remember that? So he, he ends up by coming back to that. He talks about it. and We'll look at that verse in a moment. But he, he, he encourages them. And in the last verse, of what we have is chapter 9. He says this. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift or indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for his his gift that is beyond even the ability for me to explain. And he's talking about Christ, right? He had already told them as we think about how God wrapped his gift. Because we know that Jesus, this gift that God gave, we know that when he was born he was wrapped in swaddling clothes, right? Right? But it was wrapped in a lot more than that. And we want to take a look at it. Paul had already said Christ is the example when it comes to giving. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, he said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich that he left the glories of heaven to come down and just to be fully human at the same time as being fully God in order to go to the cross, to pay the price so that you and I can be eternally rich. Amen? Do we even understand this? Do we even get a little glimpse of what we have in Christ? I'm going to tell you, we're probably way too nonchalant about it. You have no idea, and I don't either, the fullness of the riches that we already have through Christ. And it was because he was willing to be made poor that we are so rich, and he ends with this example of the Father giving the greatest, most indescribable, inexpressible gift of all, of Christ. So we put a lot of emphasis during this time of year on giving gifts, right? I guess you have all yours all checked off. So we don't so much give gifts anymore. What do we do? We exchange them. I, you're going to give me some, I got to get you some. I don't really know what you want or what you need. I'm probably going to get you something that you don't need, that no one needs. And um, feel free to re-gift, hey. Right? Or sometimes I think, okay, you know, I love this. We say, well, we're going to put like a $20 limit on our gift exchange. So why don't you just keep your $20? dollars i keep my $20, and I'll just go buy me something that I really need, right? now. I'm kidding. But, but it's tough. It's tough this time of year. We, we do all this. We jump through all these hoops, and then you're like, oh, I forgot so-and-so. Or then one of the absolute worst things happens. Somebody gets you a gift, and you hadn't thought about that they would give you a gift because you didn't get anything for them. That's the best time because then it's a real gift, right? Huh? So maybe it's best if we don't, always, I mean, you expect it, right? I mean, it's, it's, good, it's good to do, but, but, but you expect it. Maybe it would be, what I should say, better. It's just like, out of the blue, give someone a gift, right? I mean, sometimes, you know, hey, Groundhog Day, and I was thinking of Curtis. So I might get him a gift, Right? Yeah, but that's actually his birthday, by the way. So got to pick something better than that. Um, but you know what I'm saying? The, the whole gift thing. But um, we think a lot about that. So um, maybe we need to look at the, get a right perspective on this whole reason why we give each other gifts is because of the gift God gave us, right? And I know that we don't exactly know when Jesus was born and Christmas. And here's the neat thing about being in the New Testament in the age of grace there are no prescribed holy feast days in here, in the New Testament, that we have to keep as a matter of law. Did you know that? Because all of the feast days, of the Old Testament, Christ fulfilled. You can observe them if, if you understand them properly, but there's no prescribed thing you have to do except trust Christ. You want to know why? Because he fulfills the Passover. He is the first fruits. He is all of these things. Um, Even the Sabbath, we find out, which is still the right idea because He didn't make us to go seven days a week. We need a day of rest, right? And worship and meditation, right? To be refreshed physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. But yet we find out from the writer of Hebrews that we actually keep the Sabbath in Christ as He is gives us this rest because he has finished from his works and is set down at the right hand of the father. So you and I aren't even working for our salvation. We are everyday 7 days a week keeping the spirit of the Sabbath by resting in what Jesus did on our behalf that we cannot do for ourselves. All of this. So I know that in the New Testament, in the early church, we don't find, you know, we've been studying church history on Wednesday nights. And I've been enjoying that. We've kind of come up almost to the Middle Ages. Um, this week we'll be kind of going up toward the Reformation. We're seeing how it all kind of happened. But you know, the early church fathers never wrote anything about celebrating Christ's birth. Now, pretty quick, they would commemorate the resurrection. Uh, but, but we don't really know what time of year he was born. So what am I saying is this. Is, yeah, it's kind of made up. Christmas. Christmas. Um, there's a lot of truth, that's, and it's kind of like, yeah, there were a lot of pagan cultures who had uh, pagan things going on at the winter solstice, like that. But here's what happened. It's not that they just Christianized it. It's that some of these people are like, we're used to celebrating this time of year, so why don't we transform, right? Because it's okay to celebrate Christ's birth, right? It's not a problem. Uh, the thing is, is that there's nothing wrong with celebrating. It's nothing wrong with even setting aside December 25th. We don't know exactly if that's when he's born or not. Uh, but, but here's the thing if you only celebrate Christ's birth one day a year, you don't get it. Because what would it be like to have Christmas every day? Well, you know what? If you know Christ, every day's Christmas. Every day's like Resurrection Day. Because we celebrate it. And we live in the truth of it every single day. I think think that's something to get excited about. A lot more excited than what it seems like maybe we are. But it's still okay to have that designated time that we put this emphasis. So let's make the most of it and enjoy it, right? But let's not leave it there. So, when we're thinking about God giving us his son, we can celebrate it every day, but we're celebrating it now. And we realize that we always wrap our gifts that we give to each other. And the reason why we do that is in celebration of the gift he gave us. And some of us spend, I know people who spend more time picking out the paper they're going to wrap in than they do the gift. And then I know people like me that Walmart bag, they're a little bit see through. That's not good. A paper bag, if you can still get them, works great. Paper bag, stapler, marker, right? Huh? No, no. I'm just saying, Clarissa, don't overexpect for the holidays. Don't, don't overexpect. Uh huh. But the greatest gift of all was given when God Himself gave this. Listen to this. Listen to this. I don't know how all these colors are going to match up up here. We know that the wages of sin is death. God created to have this love relationship with Him by faith. He created us different than everything else, different than the animals. That He created us in, in His image, created us in His image to have a love relationship. Love demands a choice. There had to be an option to be able to not have that relationship, to reject, to sin. Not only did Adam and Eve sin; we've all sinned, and the curse of sin came on our flesh. And on all creation, the heavens and earth, we're all cursed. Our flesh is cursed. This world is cursed. The Part of that curse is death. Death happens because of sin. Had there never been any sin, there would never be any death. Wages of sin is death. That's a wage. That's what we've earned, right? You earn a wage. The only thing we can earn is death. I'm glad the verse doesn't end there. How about you? But the gift... I see a gift is something somebody else pays for. You don't pay for it. I say it all the time. If you get something this Christmas and then you get a bill for it later, you need to start talking to somebody and asking questions because they've just sold you something. They didn't give you anything, right? Um, But God, that's what makes a gift so powerful because someone else pays for it. You just have to receive it. Now, somebody can pay a lot of money for a gift, Offer it to you, but if you don't receive it, if you don't take it, it will do you no good. The Bible's clear that God himself was the only one that could pay for this gift. And he offers it to you, and the Bible's clear that the way you receive it is by faith. By trusting him completely. So the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Now you can't get better than this gift. It is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I get eternal life. I also get to be in Christ, and Christ is in me. This is the greatest gift. All. So we're talking about this gift, the gift of God, the gift God gives. How many times do I need to say it? Okay. Let's go back to this then. Luke 2, 7. When Jesus was born, it says she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, Uh, By the way, translation, rags. That's pretty much what it was. And laid him in a manger. And we know that probably the manger was a hewn out feed trough. Doesn't look anything like the cute little. You know, a lot of our artwork and imagery around Christmas comes from medieval art and is nothing like what it was really like. It wasn't a cozy little scene, it was probably pretty messy. And it was probably not a cute little stable built of wood. In that culture, it probably would have been a cave. And the trough wasn't some little wooden thing built. It was probably a stone hewed out where they put feet in. There wasn't any place. You know, you don't pick that. It's where you want to put your baby. It's all they had. But she wrapped him in these cloths because there was no room for them in the inn. So he was wrapped in that. But I want to tell you, he came wrapped in a whole lot more. Are you ready to go through it real quick? All right, jump in here, let's go. He came wrapped in prophecy. God wrapped his gift in prophecy. There may be a certain gift that, you know what, as soon as you see it, you know who gives it because of the way they wrapped it. It's really that way at our house because I just am not very skilled in wrapping gifts. You're going to know. And those corners, I don't know how you do them, it's all bunched up on the end and pooched out you just use more tape, right? Um, so you can sometimes look, before you even read the tag, you can tell who gave it by the way it's wrapped. You know what? Same is true with God. The way he wrapped his gift, you can tell he's the one who gave it because he wrapped it in prophecy. Um, and there'll be no doubt from whence it came. All of the prophecies. There's over 300 and something specific prophecies going back thousands of years who identify Christ. All those years before he came and he fulfilled them exactly. What are the odds that any one person could fulfill all of those? It's astronomical. Moses, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Zechariah, Zephaniah, Malachi, all pointed to Christ. Hundreds, thousands of years before he came. In Genesis we see it. Right there in the very beginning. When the prophecy was made right after Adam and Eve sinned. That The seed of the woman would come and crush the enemy's head. Seed of the woman, even referring there as we understand it now to the virgin birth. In Genesis, he's the seed of the woman who would come and deliver from sin. In Exodus, There he is, the Passover lamb, the voice that thundered on the mountain. He's all of that. In Leviticus, yeah, we're going to go through them. Let's go. You ready? In Leviticus, he's the atoning sacrifice. In Numbers, he's like the bronze serpent that was lifted up that brings healing to the people. In Deuteronomy, he is the promised prophet. In Joshua, he's the captain of the Lord's host who fights and gives us the victory. In Judges, he is our deliverer. In Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. In books of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, he is the promised king. In Ezra, and Nehemiah, he is the restorer of the nation. He's there. And in uh, Esther, he's the advocate. In Job, he is the redeemer. In Psalms, he is the all in all. In Proverbs, he is our pattern. In Ecclesiastes, he is our goal. In the Song of Solomon, he is the beloved. In Isaiah, he is the child that will be born. He is the son that will be given. He is wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. His suffering and death are detailed in Isaiah. In Jeremiah, he is the branch of righteousness that is coming. In Lamentations, he's the one who weeps over Jerusalem, the one who remains forever and whose throne is from generation to generation. In Ezekiel, he's seen there in that mystical wheel within a wheel. He is the one who stands in the gap and makes up the hedge. In Daniel, he's that fourth man in the fire. He's there. And he is also seen in Daniel as the coming Messiah prince who will be cut off, killed, and then is later seen coming in clouds of heaven to rule and reign. In the minor prophets, he's the prince of peace. What am I trying to say? Every single book of the Old Testament points to him, and he's right there in all of it. In all of the prophecies that were written, he fills them exactly and precisely. We could take a lot of time to go through it. But just to throw a couple of them your way, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says that the Lord Himself will give you a sign, behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, <clears throat> and shall call his name Emmanuel. Manuel means what? God with us. And even though this had a somewhat of an application during Isaiah's time, the angel lets us know this was really pointing to Christ who would be born, and he is God with us. And even hundreds and hundreds of years before he was born, Micah tells us where he will be born. In Micah 5.2, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one To be ruler in Israel whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. That means someone who is from eternity. He's going to come from there, but he's really also eternal. I think that's pretty awesome. There are so many more prophecies we could go through if we had time. But where prophecy is, it's been said, history must also enter the picture. That if it's prophesied at some point in time... It's going to be fulfilled. The things prophesied were fulfilled in time that is now past. Okay, follow me. They were prophesied, they were foretold as something that would happen in the future. As time went on, they were fulfilled. So all of these prophecies were fulfilled in time that from where we're standing is now past. And they were prophesied even further back than that. So we can examine, we can look at it, we can see it. And the evidence is so powerful and so overwhelming of who Jesus is. You have to kind of like, once you see it, not want to believe in order to not believe. You got to make yourself not believe. He came at exactly the right time. That's what the Bible says. Why was he born when he was born? Because he came at exactly the right time. Paul tells us that in Galatians 4.4. When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. See, because if the Savior and his gospel are coming, then there needs to be a common language, right? That would help spread the word, wouldn't it? Um, And it also happened that at the time he was born, there was a common language. Because the Romans had conquered most of the known world, Greek was established as a common language. If the Savior and His gospel are coming, there needs to be good roads so people can travel and spread the good news quickly. Well, it so happened that this Roman government had built the best and most complex road system the world had ever known at that time. The network of roadways were built throughout nearly the entire known world where they ruled. And you know what? Parts of these roads, after thousands of years, they're still there. Now, I'm not knocking MoDOT, but they built some good roads you know what i'm saying some of them are still there and all of this came together you know if the messiah and his gospel are coming politics can even enter the scene forcing joseph and mary who lived where nazareth to go to bethlehem because it was foretold he would be built he would be born there in luke chapter 2 we have the story of something that was out of their control, you have the Roman emperor doing this taxation, forcing everyone to go to their ancestral tribal homes. And the Romans were really smart because instead of trying to change all of the, uh, the Jews and Israelites, they just kind of used the system they had. They had this tribal system, right? And so they used that. But they use it for their advantage for taxation. So you go to your tribal ancestral home. We know they were of the tribe of Judah, of the family line of David. So where did they have to go? Bethlehem. It all lines up. No one could have manipulated this to try to make it happen for themselves because so much of it was even done by people who weren't believers at all, like the Roman emperor who appointed them Everybody to go to their ancestral home. So all these prophecies, and there's, like I said, hundreds of them, all fulfilled in one person. Exactly. Jesus Christ. Amen. But he also came wrapped in power. Don't you agree? The power of deity. In John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he says in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's talking about Jesus. With God was God. You have there some information there about how, you know, the Trinity. One essence, three persons. Was God, was with God. And Jesus further said, I and my Father are one. He says, if I do, he said, though you do not believe me, believe the works. You may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. In John 14, 9, Jesus even says, if you've seen me, in my essence, you've seen the Father. And so he came wrapped in the power of deity. He was fully God. But he also came wrapped in the power of eternity. In John 1, verse 2 and 3, it says he was in the beginning with God. Not only that he is God, but he was in the beginning. So he's from old, from everlasting, as we already saw in another verse, to everlasting. Everlasting. He also came in the same power with which He created all things. Have you thought about that lately? That this baby Jesus who came into the flesh was also the one who said, Let there be light. His voice, Paul tells us in Colossians 1.16, speaking of Jesus. He says, For by Him, Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth... Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. All things. He came in the power of the Creator. He also says this in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, because he also came in the power to redeem us, to buy us back from our bondage and sin. To buy us back out of lostness. And he says in Acts 4:12, "Nor is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No one else, no one else fulfilled all that prophecy. No one else was fully God, fully human that could bring a perfect God and lost humanity together. No one else died for your sins. No one else was qualified to because they were sinless. No one else rose again defeating sin, defeating hell, defeating death. No one else can take you to heaven. He's the only one that can show you the way. He's the only one that's already made the round trip, right? He left heaven, came to earth, died for our sins, rose again, and ascended right back. He knows right where it is. No one else could take you there but Jesus He said this about power. He came wrapped in power. You're not getting away from me that quick. I'm going to put you over here. He came wrapped in power. Now, in the King James, it says, Matthew 28, 18, this way, And Jesus came and spake to them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. That's like the universe. Now, that word could also be translated authority. It's that kind of power. All kinds of power. He came wrapped in power. But he not only came wrapped in prophecy and in power, but he also came wrapped in purpose. Came wrapped in purpose. And he tells us that his purpose was to save his people from their sins. In fact, in Matthew 1.21, the angel says and to Mary, and she shall bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus, and that word, in their language, Yeshua, It literally means Jehovah saves or Yahweh saves. For he shall save his people from their sins. That's what that name means. That's who he is. He's Savior. In Luke chapter 19 verse 10, Jesus said, The Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. That's his purpose. He came wrapped in purpose and that purpose is, is to save you. To save you from yourself. To save you from your sin. To save you from an eternity separated from God. He came to save. Isaiah foretold in Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. These are in your notes, but I don't have it up there. Isaiah, speaking about the coming Messiah, said that he would preach the gospel to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives, give Give sight to the blind, liberty to the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus is in his hometown, Nazareth. And he stands up in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he asks for the scroll of Isaiah. He takes the scroll of Isaiah, and he unrolls it and opens it up to this passage, and he reads this exact thing. That, that we're reading today in their hearing. And then he rolled it back up and he said, Today, that's been fulfilled right here in your sight. They had a hard time accepting it. He came wrapped in purpose to do all those things. And he did and he is. And he also came to give life. And he gave life more abundantly. So there's those verses. To give life more abundantly. Look at this. In John 10, 10, he said, I have come. You know, the enemies only come to destroy. But he said, I've come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Abundant life. You think about that. That through Christ we receive eternal life. Now, that doesn't just mean that you go to heaven when you die. Eternal life doesn't start after you die. It starts right now. You have eternal life In you, an abundant life right now. Are you living abundant life? Would any of your family or neighbors think that you have abundant eternal life in you? And be drawn not to you, but what is this? And be drawn to Christ. See, that's the thing that happens. When you're a believer... Jesus said, he who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live in John 11. Then he said, he who believes in me and lives shall never die. So there's a way that we never die, but we do die. What are you saying, Jesus? Your body will die, but you won't. You keep living. You're going to the next level. And think about this. Even as we're grieving the fact that some of our loved ones aren't here with us this week, that we're here last week, we are realizing That that day for them, that day for you, when it comes, will be the best day you have had thus far. That we're just swallowed up in life. We see the death part on this side. They get to experience life like we've never known it to this point. It's powerful. All right. One more. Can we? He came wrapped not only in purpose, but in promise. Promise. And a lot of those promises were fulfilled when He came. Those prophecies included promises. But it was promised that He would be our Savior, and He is. It was promised that He would set up a kingdom. And that's happening and will happen. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Let's go back hundreds of years. For unto us, He says, a child is born... Unto us a son is given. And he had to say it that way. Because right there we see the dual nature of Christ divine and human. A child is born. The humanity, to be fully human, he had to be born, right? But as God the Son, he's existed forever. He can't be born. And that's why he says the son was given. Child born, son given. That's all Jesus. No one else is that true of. And the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Some of this has happened. Right here in two verses, you have the first coming and the second coming of Christ. Now the Old Testament saints couldn't see the gap in the middle. We're living in that gap, though. Daniel prophesied about it. They didn't fully understand it. But some of this is still going to happen. There will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. What I'm trying to say is he's coming back. And the promise is... He will rule and reign forever. He invites us to be a part of that with Him. The entire world will bow. It doesn't matter whether you want to believe this or not. It's true. And it's a promise. God can't break a promise. He says in Philippians 2.10 that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those in heaven, those on the earth, and even those under the earth, every knee will bow. He promised to prepare a place for you. Not just saying, come to heaven. I'm preparing a place for you. John 14, 2, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, I know the old translations say in my Father's house are uh, many mansions. You can't put a mansion in a house. The word is actually rooms. So the point is, not that you're going to have a mansion out there somewhere or a cabin in the corner of Glory Land, right? We like to sing about that. Even that would be great. But he says, no, you are coming to my house. You're not going to be in some corner of Glory Land. He says, you're going to be in my house, and I'm making a room for you in my house. That's what Jesus is saying, and I don't know about you, but that sounds much better to me. But he's preparing for you. Think about it. Are you prepared to meet Jesus? Jesus is preparing to take you home. He's preparing a place for you to be home. Think about that. He's expecting you. He's looking forward to you. He promised in the meantime to never leave us or forsake us. Now, you may feel like he has, but that's you and your feelings, The promise is, whether you feel me or not, I'm there. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, 5, he himself has said, and and before this he says, don't get wrapped up in covetousness and stuff like that. He himself has said, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. You don't have to worry about stuff like that. I'm always going to be there. You're never going to be alone. He promised to give us real joy, real love, real power, real peace that comes from God, our Creator. He promised to provide for us. And He promised that He's coming again. Right before He ascended, the disciples were there. And and when Jesus ascended up from them, in Acts 1.10 it says, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as He went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Who do you think they were, class? Angels. And the guys are just like, and here's what they said. Who said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Don't just stand around gawking. He told you to go to Jerusalem and wait for a promise that he's going to give you. And you and I, were still living in that. We're still living in that promise that this same Jesus is coming back. And I want to tell you, those guys that actually saw him physically go, it's just as real today as it was that day. And he is physically coming back to earth. But it's going to be a whole different story. All the world loves to kind of get in on this, celebrating little precious baby Jesus in a manger. And all that. And that's good. That's a start. But this same Jesus is King Jesus. And he's coming back. He may have come in like the sacrificial lamb. But he's coming back like the lion. And he is going to judge the world. And every knee will bow. And everyone will confess the truth of who he is. Is that going to be the best day of your life? Or or could it be the worst? It all depends on if you know Jesus. Our coming King. Do you look for Him? Do you long for Him? I do. But at the same time, folks, He's coming back. And to me, it's like, He's got work for you to do. And when He comes back, may He find us faithful. So this is it. He promised to save us and to forgive us if we ask Him. This is the biggest promise John 3:16 God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Wow. Think about what Jesus paid. That in order to spend eternity in hell, you got to go around Jesus. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So every time you give or receive a gift this Christmas, I want you to think, I want to challenge you to think about the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ. Even if you don't have all your gifts wrapped yet, which I don't have any wrapped. But anyway, as you wrap them, think of how gloriously the Heavenly Father has wrapped His gift to you. As you open all of your gifts, let thanksgiving flow from your heart to the giver and also reflect On the most wonderful gift of all that has been given to you. The gift of God is eternal life if you just will receive it by faith. I want to challenge you to think about that. Let's pray. Father, I do ask today.